This is KMTT, and today's Thursday, this Zman Chorev Taf Shin Ayin, will be having a series by Rav Kalmin Newman on society and halacha. Today, we will continue what we spoke about last week in trying to define the halachic status of the State of Israel and its very various components. Uh, we will analyze each of the three categories that are often used in order to justify the uh, status of the laws and the institutions of the State. Let me just say as a matter of introduction that despite the fact that we are 60 years after the establishment of the State, we still do not have a Mishnazdura, a consensus even among the Zionist rabbis, exactly how to understand the state of Israel. I would say that very often the approach is eclectic, as we will see. When a certain uh, possibility is more appropriate, then we use that. When a different svara will be more appropriate, we will use another svara. Very often the result uh, depends on ideological basis, and the different uh, categories are used in order that it should fit uh, the required result. We'll see as we go on. So to review what we saw last time were three basic categories. One, Dina de Machuta Dina. Two, Mishpat HaMelech. And three, Takanot HaKahal, that are the possible frameworks for describing or defining the halachic status of the State of Israel as in the State of Israel. If you remember last time, I, in a rather strange way, quoted extensively from the Israeli Declaration of Independence, that's precisely in order to establish the fact that the state of Israel, as established in Tavshin Ched, might be somewhat different from all the perceived halachic categories that we will mention. And we have to be aware of that discrepancy and see how halacha will deal with that. So let's begin with the category of Dina de Machuta Dina. We already mentioned that Dina de Machuta Dina appears basically in the Gemara in the context of a non-Jewish kingdom of the responsibility or the uh, obligation of Jews living in a non-Jewish, under a non-Jewish king to keep his laws or at least to pay taxes and to be responsible for certain actions of the king. We mentioned a number of different svarot, why that is the case, and we pointed out that there is a machloket rishonim if the law of Dina de Machuta applies in Eretz Israel or not. We will now mention a number of other conditions uh, regarding the extent of the applicability of Dina de Machuta Dina. One condition, which should be obvious, is that Dina Machutadina does not apply in the area of Isurim. It only applies in the area of Mamonot, a command of the king to go that goes against the prohibitive, right, the Isurim Heter part of the Torah. Such command is clearly null and void, and the law, the decree of the king, does not take in any way precedence over that. Uh, just to give an example, a law of a king that requires people in certain circumstances to pay rebate, to pay interest, that interest is an isur, and therefore, even if there's a requirement of the melech to pay interest, such a requirement is null and void, and is not, uh, not, does not fit into the category of dina de machuta dina. Of course, in general, we know that the Rambam says that in any case, 
of a command of the king to go against the Torah, then we should not listen to the king, but rather to the Torah. That's self-evident. But of course, as opposed to the area of Mamonot, where a stipulation of the king can overcome the law of the Torah, in the question of Isurim, that does not exist. I want to give another example, which is a very uh, difficult example as far as the state of Israel is concerned. It's the question of inheritance. The halachot of Yerusha are not just the name of Manot, there's an Isur Heter aspect of that. And therefore, the, uh, a law which contravenes the Torah, which, for instance, says that someone who is not eligible to inherit, according to the laws of the Torah, will indeed inherit according to the law. Such a law is not subject to the Machut Adina, and there are extensive chuvot on this issue uh, in the Achronim. I'll say now, in parenthesis, this was one of the major questions when Rav Herzog uh, contemplated the establishment of a state that would, would not contravene the laws of halacha, one of the major problems was the possibility of uh, enabling uh, daughters to inherit, according to halacha, if someone has both sons and daughters. The sons inherit, and the daughters do not inherit. That, Rav Herzog realized, would, would be something that could not be accepted by the majority of the Israeli population, and it was inconceivable the Knesset would agree to such a law. And he tried to find various halachic solutions to allow a woman to inherit, even al-pi halacha, and in that way there would not be a conflict between halacha and the laws of the state. But By the way, just to lemaise, what in fact happens almost always, in the great majority of cases, is that true that under Israeli law, the daughters do inherit. However, like in other issues of personal status, the Batei did have their own independent right to uh, educate cases of Yerusha. However, in fact, what often happens, or almost always happens from what I understand, is that the uh, Beidin uh, suggests that the sons uh, relinquish part of their Yerusha uh, on behalf of their sisters. And then they make a kinyan uh, to establish that fact. So the end result is that of women inheriting like men, even though formally it is not done through an act of Yerusha, but through an act of Kinyan of Matana. Okay, that's an interesting question. There was a dispute about this issue in uh, Truman a number of years ago in which there was a dispute about what exactly is more important, the formal aspect or the Lemaisa aspect, in other words, the Lemaisa that they but they didn't have accepted basically the principle that exists in the state as a whole, or formally that the Batei didn't don't accept it and they require a Kinyan. In any case, that was that is one limitation on the Machut Adina. Another limitation that should be mentioned is the fact that the law of the Machut Adina applies only in what Chazal called Melech Shehishtavu Gzerotav, in a king who uh, applies his law in a non-discriminatory manner. If there's a law, if there's a tax that applies equally to everyone, then you should pay it. If it is being unequally, unequitably distributed, then uh, one does not have to pay the tax because it is not included in the Machut Adira. That is based on the Gemara in Babakama and is paskin by the Rambam and others. 
Of course, part of the question will be, what is the extent of the lack of equity that makes it sufficient in order to overcome the rule of Dina the Mahudadina? Here we'd have to go into a lot of detail. Obviously, very often, people think that they're being treated not in an equal way when it's very hard to define what is equality. We know that one of the major questions in modern political thought is the question of how do we define justice, how do we define distributive justice, how do we, uh, in an equitable or fair or just way, distribute the various goods of society. And uh, it certainly is beyond the scope of my discussion here to say, A, what is the halachic position on that, if such a halachic position exists, and B, if there is a lack of equity or a lack of justice in distribution of goods, to what extent would that justify a uh, refusal to keep the Mahuta? Uh, it's very hard to say. We could perhaps suggest that in the state of Israel, at least, there is an institution whose function is to make sure that the laws of the state or the decrees of the state, the actions of the state, uh, are done in an equitable way. That, of course, is the Bagads, the Beit Din Gavol Tzedek, the Supreme Court, which one of its functions is to uh, relate to questions of the justice of actions of the institutions of the state. Of course, uh, we all know that not all the decisions of the Supreme Court are accepted by everyone, but nevertheless, the state itself is committed to this notion that things have to be done equitably. And if there's a lack of equity or a lack of reasonable reasonableness, uh, then these things are not valid. We have already mentioned the opinion of the Rashbam that the principle of Dina de Machuta Dina is based on the idea of consent. The people have agreed to accept the dina of the melech, and therefore their decrees of the king are binding on all the people. Here we would have to establish, is there indeed consent? And for example, I've seen that people have said that anyone who participates in the election is, in, in effect, committing himself to dina machuta. The fact that you are participating in the process of uh, establishing a government, that means that you are accepting the basic authority of that government that will be elected on that basis. Again, of course, as long as the things fall within the context of the Machuta and not, do not go specifically against the Torah. There's a Gemara in Baba Kamadav Gimel, which is one of the places where the principle of Dina Machuta Dina applies. Gemara says... Dinu Machuta Dina, Amar Rava. Rava says, what is the basis for Dinu Machuta Dina? Or how can I know? How do I prove that there is such a thing? Teda de Katle Dikli, Vigashre Gishri, Vavrinon Layu. Know that the state, the king, cuts down trees and builds bridges and people cross over them. And indeed, if Dinu Machuta was not Dina, this would be considered gezel, and it would be prohibited to cross over the bridge. So the very use of public facilities, which are built or created by money of taxes, the very fact that someone uses such a facility, that itself is a acceptance of dinu machutadina, or at least it is a proof, the fact that everyone does it, that is a proof that indeed there is such a principle of dinu machutadina.
And I've heard both in the name of Rabbi Vorm Shapiro, Zechonol Vracha, and Yibadel Chaim, Marina Rav Lichtenstein, who see this as a proof that it really would not be legitimate for someone to claim that he does not accept Bin Machut Adina, if indeed, in the state of Israel, if indeed he benefits from the various public institutions, and uh, he therefore could not justify uh, cheating on taxes for that purpose. Although, I'll relate a story that I've heard a number of times for Lichstein in another context, uh, in which he uh, asked uh, a certain question from Rabbi Zalman, or Bach Zechot Tzadik Livracha, and he, Rabbi Zalman, said to him, well, the question you're asking me is not really a question of halacha, it's a question of hashkafa, and therefore I only uh, paskin regarding that question for my direct Talmidim, it doesn't bind other people. And he gave Rav Lichstein an example of a question that depends on hashkafa. He said, well, such as the question about cheating on income tax. It seems that Rav Zalman thought that there could be a ideological basis for not uh, paying income tax, that perhaps could be uh, for those people, that group within the Yedah Haridid proper, not all Haridim, but the Yedah Haridid proper, who are careful uh, both not to vote in the elections and do not uh, benefit from government funding at all. I guess they walk in the streets, but otherwise they do not benefit from government funding, so therefore perhaps they can have a legitimate claim that they have nothing to do with the Medina, and therefore they are not obligated by the decrees of the Medina. I would assume that regarding the broader Haredi community, uh, that statement of Rabbi Shlomo Zalman is not applicable. On the other hand, for example, there's a tshuva of Rav Avadi Yosef Shlita, uh, it appears in Yichavedat, Chel Kesim and Samach Gimel, where he's asked the question about cheating on income tax, and he says specifically, he both mentions the law of Dina Dumachut Adina and says it's applicable in Eretz Israel. He rejects the claim that Dina Dumachut Adina is not applicable in the case of a non-religious state or a state run by Rishayim. He says that is not, is not relevant. He quotes Rav Kook, definition of a melech, you do not require a, uh, a monarchy mamash, but any widely accepted government can be included in Dina Dumachut Adina. And therefore, he says that therefore it is obligatory to pay income taxes. And bechol hanogia lemisim va'arnuniot umeches yesh lekayem etachok shalamdina. So the laws of the state are binding, at least regarding the question of taxes. We'll have to deal with other questions later. Uh, I'll just say in passing that there's a footnote in the tshuva where he mentions that, according to his understanding of halacha, tamodech hachamim should be exempt from all taxes. I don't know if the inclusion of that statement hints at the fact that maybe a Tamil Chacham, since he should not be subject to taxes, therefore does not have to pay taxes even if the Malchut expects him to do so. But he doesn't make that clear. I'm just pointing that out because the footnote does appear in the Tshuva as printed. So that's regarding Dina the Malchut Adina regarding taxes. The question is what about other issues? So here there's a famous statement of the Ramah who says as follows, Some say that the law of Dinah Machut only has to do with things regarding to land or other taxes, because that is how the king decrees that people are required to be under his rule. 
אבל בשאר דברים לא. But other things that the king says, that is not subject to Dina Machuta Dina. V'yesh chokim u'svirel hu da'aminam b'chol davar Dina d'machuta Dina. But some people say that every decree of the king, every law of the kingdom does apply to Dina Machuta Dina. V'chein hu a'ikar, says the Ramah. However, the Ramah elsewhere says, uh, in Siman Shin Samech Tet, Sif Yud, he says, the law aminam Dina Machuta Dina, ela b'davar sh'yesh bo hana'al melech, או שהוא לתקנת בני המדינה. אבל לא שידונו בדיני עכו. דאם כן בטלו כל דיני ישראל. We don't say דינא מחותא except in a case that is something for clearly for the benefit of the king or for it's the good of the state as a whole. But not to replace the laws of the Torah by the laws of non-Jews, because in that case, then all the laws of the Torah go away, all of Chosh Mishpat becomes irrelevant. So that, the Ramah says, that's unthinkable. This issue already appears in the Rishonim, we won't go into it. So what we have is the question, does the law have to be a decree of the king for his own benefit, or litikun ha-medina, in order to benefit the people of the country? The concept, of Tikkun Amdina is a problematic one because we have the question what exactly is the requirement that the law be done for the purpose of Tikkun Amdina which is to say as Professor Shochaman points out it's clear let's say in a modern democracy that laws are instituted for the good of the public so when the Knesset instituted a law about contracts or a law about inheritance the intent of the Knesset, we hope, was for the good of the state, the good of the people. It wasn't just done arbitrarily. However, it was done in a way that differs from the way the Torah sees it. So, is that a legitimate way of Tikkun Amdina? Is the fact that it differs from the law of the Torah proof that it is not truly for Tikkun Amdina? Or, we could say perhaps that it's not really a tikkun, because if we followed the laws of the Torah, things would be just as metukan. Why dafka differ from the laws of the Torah? Or do we say, since this law was instituted by the Melech, and it wasn't done in an arbitrary way, but rather it was done for the purpose of tikkun amdina, so therefore it falls into the category of dina d'machuta dina. Furthermore, we have the opinion of the Shach, who says that even those who extend Dina Machuta Dina to cases beyond the laws of taxes, however, he says, Dafka Din Even those who say that Dina Machuta Dina extends beyond taxes to all cases, however, that only refers to a case where there's a lacuna in the halacha, where the halacha has not dealt extensively with a problem, or has not dealt with a problem at all. And then we use din machutadina to fill the gap. But if it's against the Torah, if the Torah says X and the law says Y, then in that case we cannot use the law of din machutadina at all. So there are very interesting questions here about in general, is there such a thing as a lacuna in the Torah? Chazanish, for instance, says there ain't no such thing. Every question can be dealt with through the Torah. 
and it's impossible to conceive of a question that is not dealt with in the Torah. But, and therefore the different interpretations of what the Shach exactly meant. However, obviously, if we accept the Shach, that limits the possibility of saying that many of the laws of today are applicable. And indeed, it seems that many of the poskim think so. What things would fall into the description of the Shach as lacuna? There are various types of laws that clearly do not exist in halacha and are necessary for the good of society. For instance, let's say traffic laws. There might be other areas in which we can say that uh, what we have is an area that is totally outside of halacha, it doesn't contradict the Torah, and therefore we can have recourse to the Machuta in these cases. However, in a case of a dispute between two people, who, and actually as far as the Malchut cares, there's no need for them, Dafka, to accept the laws of the Malchut, if that is the case, then perhaps Dina the Machuta Dina does not apply. This actually fits in with a svara that appears in a number of the Achronim regarding Dina the Machut. Makom she'en ha-Malchut makpedet al-kach, ain't Dina the Machut Dina. The Malchut does not insist on the fact that people keep it, but they allow people to, to deal with their own issues between them, then the law of Dina the Machut Dina does not apply. And of course, that issue itself is not all self-evident. Some of us may know that there are opinions that it's for the good of the state that there be one legal system among everyone. And the concept of legal pluralism is not good for the state. If everyone has their own legal system, everyone can have recourse to somewhere else. That is not Tikkun Amdina. So perhaps an argument could be made that it's in the advantage of Tikkun Amdina that there be one legal system, even in matters of Ben Adam Chavero. That's something we should leave open. In any case, to sum up, uh, in general, Dina Machut Adina, many poskim say that it is applicable at least to some cases of Israeli law, although there are very few people who say that there's a blanket inclusion of all of Israeli law as the Machut Adina. That, of course, would bring around a situation where all of Choser Mishpat would be uh, written out of the book. And Israeli law would replace Choser Mishpat. Obviously, Rabbanim are very hesitant about accepting such a thing. In parenthesis, I'll say, we're talking now only about the question of the laws. We're not talking about the question of the courts. That we'll deal with elsewhere. A Beitin would have to judge according to the laws of the Knesset if indeed they were applicable. Just to give an example, there's a Truva in Tzitzeliezer and Chelik Tetzai and Siman Samechtet, a case that came across the Beitin, an argument between neighbors in which uh, Rav Aldenberg quotes the Chok Batim governs uh, uh, common cooperative uh, buildings in Israel, and he says this law is not against the Torah, and it certainly was done with Tikkun Olam. It certainly was a, is a public social benefit in this law, and therefore this dispute between neighbors should be judged on the basis of the stipulations of that law. In addition, he also says uh, two additional things. First of all, that it's clear that the Minhagam denies to follow the Chokbatim Shutafim. It's a law that is followed. And by the way, a law that is not enforced is probably also the law of Din al-Machut does not apply. If there's a law that's a dead letter, probably the law of Din al-Machut does not apply. But Valdemar said this law is enforced, and it's a good law. And even in addition, he has evidence to show that the parties involved 
uh, accepted upon themselves when they signed an agreement between them or when they entered into the house, they, they agreed that the relations between the neighbors would be done according to the law. In any case, this is another example of a law of the Knesset that since it doesn't specifically go against the Torah and it has clear social benefit, therefore it is now instituted as part of halacha. And therefore, here we have a case where Beit Din determined the dispute according to what the law of the Knesset says. Right. So, uh, exactly where to draw the lines is not clear. Obviously, in questions of public law, it's easier to talk about the Lamachut Adinan, taxation, and such things. And when we talk about disputes, it's more difficult to include that in the Lamachut both according to the Shach or according to the opinion that if people. Uh, if the Melech allows people an alternative, then there's no reason to accept even the Machut Adina, or certainly according even to the opinion brought in the Ramah, that the Machut Adina only has to do with things for the benefit of the king, but not things in general, uh, and certainly who says that these laws of Tikkun Amdina, maybe the laws of the Torah are even better. One thing that is not, Lichora included, in Dina the Machuta is the concept of the authority of a Medina to wage war. And that's something we'll have to deal with later. possible way of justifying the laws of the state, uh, especially Direi Mamanot, would be seeing them as Takanot Takahal, as part of the legislation of Jewish communities that we're familiar with uh, in the Galut, especially Jewish communities established all kinds of laws. And they, we, are, we know they're to be binding. There's the concept of Shiva Tuveyair, Etc., etc. Contemporary Postkim mentioned this possibility and uh, sometimes raised it, but again, there is not a blanket acceptance of the notion of Takanotakahal. One of the limitations on the concept of Takanotakahal is the requirement that uh, a Chacham uh, accept, ratify, as it were, the Takanot. That was applicable, of course, in a kahal where there was a maradatra. What is called Adam Chashuv. In a statement that appeared in Tchumen uh, Gimel, Rav Avram Shapira says that indeed there is the right of the Medina to establish takanot. He suggests that the test to see if it's a legitimate takanot or not will be what was the approach of the religious representatives in the Knesset. If they agree to the law, then the law is okay. It's like the agreement of Adam Chashuv. If they disagreed, it must be because it's against Allah, and therefore it is not halachically valid. That itself, of course, is a rather problematic statement. In addition, Professor Shochetman in his article says that after speaking to Rav Shapiro, he uh, realized that Rav Shapiro was only talking about Takanot in the public realm, things like they are laws regarding rent control, uh, taxes, things like that. And again, not in Beradam Chaviro. In that, he sees that uh, the Knesset has no uh, standing regarding Din Torah at all. So we don't really have a clear criterion how to determine which laws of the Knesset fit into this category, which don't. As a matter of fact, in an article uh, in Tchumen Yud, uh, Dr. Itamar Vahavtik, uh, says 
that really maybe our strategy should be to accept the laws of the Knesset, except for those that are specifically against in Torah, because even many of the laws of the Knesset really would have been accepted as Takanot if we had a, a real, active, vibrant Bateidin that could institute new Takanot. Many of these things would be included in such Takanot. And maybe we should really accept the vast majority of the laws of the Knesset as binding and appropriate. He also says that, in fact, uh, we do really accept the laws of the Knesset. Uh, no one uh, refuses to accept uh, uh, money from insurance or from bituach lumi, even though there might be questions about what the halachic basis for that is, is and etc. Okay, we'll talk more about the whole question of laws later. But now, uh, we'll just end with the third possibility, something we've discussed extensively till now, the question of Mishpat HaMelech. Can we define Medinat Yisrael as Mishpat HaMelech? What would be the implications? Of course, we'll return to Rav Kook, who said that a democratic government can also be defined or can also accept the authority of a Malchut, and many contemporary postkim have mentioned this possibility. Although, obviously, it would seem the Haredi poskim certainly do not accept that. One of the major differences that we've already mentioned is that defining the Medina as Malchut can give the Medina the authority to go out to war. As we know that a Melech Motzil Milchama, one of the conditions, or Lichora, at least one of the preconditions of war, is a decision of a Melech. That's something we'll talk about later when we talk about war. In any case, defining the state as Melucha, as Malchut, does extend the possibilities. Does it include the possibility to legislate? Can we say that perhaps all the laws of the Knesset can be included as Mishpat HaMelech? Certainly in light of the words of the Ran, who says that the Melech can make all kinds of decrees in order for Tikkun Hamdini, for organizing society. That is a very far-reaching opinion that before the establishment of the state was held by Reb Chaim in his correspondence with Rev Herzog. We'll talk about that a little more next time, and we'll also see some of the problems in seeing the Medina as a Malchut, because by saying that the Medina is subject to the, the Halachot of Malchut, this raises questions in uh, defining the present-day state of Israel as fitting all the categories of Malchut.